This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do we need to do in order to thrive at work, both in terms of our output, but also in terms of how we feel? It's a question that people have asked and will continue to do so for generations, but it's one that's gained a new sense of urgency and relevance as many people's traditional ways of working have been upended over the past year. And even as authorities lay out the path towards a more opened-up, business-as-usual society, it's not like things are going to snap back into place, and nor do people necessarily want them to. And one message that's come out loud and clear from the pandemic, lockdowns and pivot for many to work from home, is the importance of other people in our working lives. You'll know what I'm talking about if you felt that sting of loneliness as you tap away on your computer in your kitchen, or that sense of disappointment and alienation after an awkward Zoom brainstorm that you know would have flowed if you and your colleagues had been in the same room with the familiarity that comes from sharing tea rounds and belly laughs over silly YouTube clips of dogs at 4pm. The good news is that whether you're freelance and working from home for the foreseeable, or if your organisation is planning to move to a blend between at-home and in-office working, there are things you can do to strengthen those relationships and enable you to perform better, stave off loneliness, and just enjoy your working life a whole lot more. Hello, I'm Roisin Devashokane, and this is Going For Goal, the weekly women's health podcast. On this show, we call on top experts to share the tools you need to make good on the health goals that really matter to you and chat to our favourite celebrities and wellness heavyweights about what they do to feel and function at their best. Today, we've got two experts. The first is a self-professed interpersonal guru, Carol Robin, who taught MBA candidates the legendary Stanford Graduate School of Business course Interpersonal Dynamics, also known as Touchy Feely. And in her new book, Connect, which came out last week, she offers up those insights. The second is Rebecca Seal, who is a UK-based food journalist and author of new book, Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind. In this episode, we talk about the importance of cultivating relationships in a changing work world, steps to get the most out of yourself and those you work with, how to feel less lonely when working from home, and crucially, why spending time deepening those connections truly pays off in more ways than one. Enjoy. 
Rebecca Seal and Carol Robin, welcome to Going for Goal. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm so thrilled to have you both here to talk about how we can strengthen and maintain our working relationships to support our success and and to help us look after our health and happiness while we strive in our careers, which is super important at this time. Um, and we wanted to have this conversation because at the moment, it's a time of great flux in our working lives. Obviously, in the UK, we've had um, we've had news of the roadmap, and companies are thinking about how they kind of return to the office. People who have been working home, working at home for a while, uh, and it feels like if there was a new normal of working from home, that new normal has been scrunched up in a ball, and we're basically just all starting again. So it's mm-hmm. a time of real flux. Um, and I want to dive straight in and ask both of you, starting with Carol, um, why nurturing your working relationships is so important and the key moment or, or set of experiences uh, that's taught you that lesson. Well, let me start by saying um, people do business with people. They don't do business with ideas or machines or money or products. They do business with people. So... My co-author David and I wrote the book that we wrote. We started writing it well before the pandemic, (laughs) Um, four years ago, in fact, Uh, even though it's only just coming out. That's a whole other story. But um, the the fact is that we, we are much more effective in business when we remember that human beings are doing business with human beings. Now, let's fast forward to what's happened over the last year plus, uh, a lot of what we talk about as, as being necessary has become even more necessary. It's almost more important to double down on paying attention to the relationships. Uh, some of the stuff that just happened more organically uh, when we could be together doesn't, which means we have to be even more intentional about mm. nurturing our relationships, building our relationships, deepening our relationships. Um, and, you know, frankly, before the pandemic, people weren't that great at it in the first place uh, or our book would not have been necessary. But now it's even more necessary. Uh, and I think to your point about now this mix that we're all going to move into, it's going to become even more important to understand what is it that builds connection? What is it that builds trust? What is it that builds distance and closeness? How do those things happen? What do I do that either influences you more or less, brings you closer or distances you? So I think it's just never been more important. Rebecca, then, what about you? Why has uh, why is nurturing working relationships so important? And how did you learn that? Um I mean, it's it's so important to me because I think one of the things that writing the book taught me was that we need to understand that work is not the most important part of our lives, um, that we are a lot more than simply the jobs that we do. And I think that we quite often forget that. Um, and I think that society kind of often operates as though we are our jobs. And, uh, you know, that's something I repeat often is that we are not our jobs. You are not your job. You are a much bigger and more interesting and dynamic thing than that with loads of different personalities and parts. And um, and we have to nourish that. And part of nourishing that kind of bigger person is maintaining relationships that, that 
that that nourish and nurture that person so um so that that's kind of the bigger picture thing about why I think relationships are so important. The way I learned that was by neglecting them. Um, the reason I wrote the book was that six or seven years ago, I was horribly lonely. Um, and I, um, I was somewhere close to burnout, probably not burning out exactly, but, but very, very close. Um, because work had expanded to take up really my entire life. I didn't, um, I didn't have much outside of that. I wasn't really socializing with friends. I was only socializing with work acquaintances and colleagues. Um, and I was working six or seven days a week, uh, in this sort of desperate hamster wheel pursuit of success, but without any clear idea of what success actually was. (laughs) Um, yeah for me and um and that was so lonely and in that moment i was neglecting the people who needed me and cared about me and people who would otherwise have made me not feel lonely and and i forgot that there's a that that's a two way street i i i didn't realize that in in helping myself be less lonely i would be helping other people be less lonely too and that's one of the things that i've learned over and over again in the last year is that every time I have a conversation with somebody which allows me to connect deeply with them when I ask them in in the very real sense, how are you? They're alleviating my loneliness and I'm alleviating theirs. And that is possibly the most profound thing that I have I can take from this awful time that we've been through is that there's a there's this beautiful circularity to the connections that we make. And the deeper that we make them, the more profound they become and the less lonely that we are as a result. I was just going to say how lovely it was to listen to your response, Rebecca, and what a wonderful reminder it is that, uh, you know, human beings are social animals. We, we need each other. And, uh, and we need each other if not only uh, for nurturing at a very uh, profound level. But we need each other to learn and grow. And when you said, you know, you are not your job, I I was really struck by that. And uh, none of us are our job. And the reason we need people in our lives and the people at work in our lives is that they help us learn and grow. But if if we're just one transaction after another, if all there is is contact and task and no relationship, then we're missing all of that. It's almost a cliche now when people think about bring your whole self to work, but you spe- you spell out in real detail and with a real kind of, um, I don't know, you really seem to show the return on investment of bringing your whole self to work. And I think something that's been very interesting in the pandemic, certainly in my industry, has been that Whereas people maybe had, and I mean, I work in journalism and I work in a female-dominated team, so we're probably more touchy-feely than many other industries. We're much more casual and we talk about women's health. So, you know, normal meetings for us talk about orgasms and periods and, you know, and life crises and all this kind of stuff. So we're, we're pretty familiar with each other. But even so, I think people were able to have like a work persona before the pandemic and I think something that's been really interesting is since the pandemic when people have been at home and you see partners running in you see kids you see mattresses behind people you see washing hanging out and I think there's almost been this sense that people have gotten to know more 
of that person and there's been kind of fewer mm-hmm. barriers that's just an observation for me but why do you think as someone who's you know you've had the sales background like you've taught at Stanford Business School why is it so important why are feelings so important um, when it comes to success in work well you're a journalist uh, and uh you know that language, you know, is made up of two different, you know, it's cognition and emotion. If you talk only about thoughts and not about feelings, you're only having half of the conversation. It's like listening to music with only treble. Some of it is (laughs) off. (laughs) You can sort of hear the music. Uh, And yet we've been socialized, especially in business, to leave feelings out of it. We've somehow been, uh, and by the way, we socialize feel, expression of feelings out of kids. Um, we, we value the rational and somehow devalue half of ourselves, which, and, and by the way, feelings are also rational. That's the problem. People think that I'm, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be feeling, fill in the blank. If you're feeling, if you're feeling sad, you're feeling sad. Just because I wouldn't feel sad if in that situation doesn't mean you're not allowed to feel sad. And so what's happened is we've lost the, the ability to empathize. Because if I can't, like I have felt sad, but if I decide that you're feeling sad over whatever you're feeling sad about seems silly, then I can't empathize. Whereas if I just know the feeling of sadness, I can be with you in the feeling of sadness. And we might actually connect in a different way. Mm, mm. And how does that square, Rebecca, with your experience of, as you say, you've worked for yourself, you work solo, as you put it, it's the title of your book, you've done so for 12 years now. Yeah. How can you bring your whole self to work in that sense? Is that even possible? Give us your insight. Yeah, that's interesting, because as you were talking about the whole self, I was I was thinking that one of the aspects of working from home that I've struggled with particularly um, over the last year, and I think I think this will be a common experience, and I think it's also worth pointing out first that working from home in a pandemic is not the same as working from home. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> like, Very salient Good point. point. <laughs> and also, if you're working for an organisation which is talking about having a hybrid approach or a work-from-home approach in the future, and you think you're going to hate it because you've had a horrible experience of it over the last year, it's worth noting that I think there's hope. Because working from home yes. when it's not a pandemic is lovely. Like, uh-huh. it's great. <laughs> you know, of course, there are some difficulties and there's some stuff about loneliness, but all of that stuff is much, much more manageable when there isn't a pandemic on. So, yeah. you know, don't be frightened if that's what you're looking down the barrel of and you're worried about what the future is going to be like. It will get better. I absolutely 100% promise when pandemic stuff is over. Um, but one of the things that I have struggled with in terms of whole self is that I sometimes feel as though my whole self is is too much, too too many selves or something. Um, in that, like my day at the moment can shift between to- so many different bits of identity, and I can find that really exhausting. Like today, what yesterday? Today I've had the rare option of working for an entire day, but yesterday I did half a day of homeschool, and then I um I went to my office and did a couple of hours, and then I had to move rooms because I can only do podcast interviews from my bedroom because of the sound. So I had to do, and that meant I saw my daughter for a bit and then um I saw her childminder as well and we had a chat and then I came upstairs and tried to be an adult who could think really clearly about things to do with work and then I had to go and do um nursery pickup so I had to you know there was just like this constant tiny pieces of me being kind of left in different places um 
and and not really having much transition time and i and i know from the research how important transition time is between different kind of modes of life and uh, that day in particular i just wasn't getting getting any so there's a kind of interesting um tension i think between on the one hand this whole self idea uh, which i totally am with in 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 bringing your emotional self to work as well but there are bits of myself that i would quite like, <laughs> quite like to leave at the door and not take to work with me and but i do, and i do think that that's one of the challenges of working from home is that kind of who you are when you're working and and a lot of the research shows that the better that you can establish boundaries between those different parts of your life not not necessarily in terms of your emotional um not emotional boundaries in as much as you don't bring your emotions to your workplace or your workspace but boundaries between who you are at different times and allowing yourself Mm. transitional periods and transitional rituals between those different parts of who you are that tends to kind of um like oil the wheels um as you're kind of moving through all these changes can you give me some suggestions because that's something I, as someone that has started working home in a pandemic, not the same as working from home, um, that's something that I've personally found really tricky. That sense that you have to be everything within the same within the same flat. Yeah, you are a worker, and then you're a partner, and then you're consoling your friend on the phone. You're you're kind of, and yeah, I've massively struggled without those transition times, and that's yeah. really interesting that they're important. What do you do? What do you do to try and make space between Rebecca the mum and Rebecca the podcaster, Rebecca the Rebecca the food writer? <laughs> um, so I would definitely want to point out that I'm a work in progress as far as all of this stuff goes. But um, <laughs> so uh, I, just because I know what to do doesn't necessarily mean that I can always do it. But one of so one of the things that I do is I'm aware of the rituals that I already had in place. So um, one of the some of the things that I already did, I'm just much more conscious of doing to say to myself, this is a transition point. So um, I dress for work on the days on which I'm working. I do a face of makeup. That, that's highly optional. Eyeliner won't be as important to everybody as it is to me, but <laughs> it, it serves a very useful purpose. Um, I tend to have two cups of coffee in the morning, decaf as it goes, because otherwise my anxiety is off the charts at the moment. So <laughs> I've had to give that up. Um, but I have, yeah, ritualistic two cups of coffee. If Woman's Hour comes on, which Carol comes on at 10am in the morning in the UK, that's, I'm late. That's, I'm late starting. I should have started by then. So it's a nice little marker point where I'm like, okay, hang on. Um, you should be working by now. So, and uh, it's it's useful having preloaded those decisions. Like I I have always started work by ten a.m. That's the thing because by the time I've dropped my kids off and blah blah blah, that's that's when I can start. Um, so it's nice to have that. It's not a, I don't have to have an argument with myself about when I, when or if I start. That's just a fixed point in my day. So that's useful. I also know people who have a candle that they burn during work time and then they blow it out at the end. Some people find it useful to go for a walk between um, work starting or work ending to kind of replicate the job that the commute used to do um there there are loads of things if you're in a really small space then um uh it's useful to just sit somewhere different like maybe you've only got one table at which to work but if you don't sit in the seat that you would normally sit to eat then that can actually have quite a positive impact on your on your well-being um Mm. Other things you can do, uh, and I, I did this for two years, this is really useful, is just hide your work when you're not working. So um, I had a shelf on in a cupboard that all my work stuff went in because I was working at the kitchen table and I had two small children and it was hell, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but like at the end of the day, I would 
take it. It's an extra job for sure, but I, it's so useful. I would just shove it all in this in this cupboard and shut the door. If you can't do that, then get a box and put everything in a box and, and then hide the box, like put it behind a chair or the sofa or something. Um, and if you're working in your bedroom, then throw a sheet over it. You know, just do something symbolic, which says to your brain, that period of time is, is either starting or over. And, mm. and, then, and then, of course, there's all the stuff about shutting down the applications on your phone and, and saying in Slack that you're not available and, or, you know, whatever apps you're using. Um, but any of these kind of ritualistic things are really, really useful um, to help you to, to transition in and out. And, and if you can have a specific space to work in, and I know that's a massive challenge for a lot of us who are unexpectedly working from home, but if you can have a specific space in which you work and you try not to do anything else in it, and even if that's just, like I say, a particular chair rather than a room, um, then, then that can be helpful. And it also helps designate that you're working to the other people that you're around. You know, if you, vo- if you vocally say, this is my working space and time, you can it can help the people who who are with you who might be struggling with their boundaries and their ideas of of what work is and isn't um it can help say to them well you know this this is this is time for work and this you know you cannot engage with me at this point or mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully they won't depends whether they're toddlers or not i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly or well-developed adults <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love what you were saying there about the, that really feeds in nicely to Carol's point about kind of being more intentional about things now. And Carol, I wanted to ask you about feedback and kind of disclosing the way you feel and accepting the way that other people feel, because that can be tricky enough, even when you're in the same place, in a room. How does someone have an honest, connecting, real, constructive work conversation when they're either side of a screen? How does that, how would you recommend people go about doing that? The purpose of feedback, and I'm now talking about feedback with regard to something that's not working or something that's behaviorally problematic. Because by the way, there's also feedback about something you really appreciate and love. And, and, And that's something people don't know how to do real well either. I'll come back to that one. But when it's feedback about something that's problematic, 
The purpose is to move into a problem-solving conversation, not to change somebody. You know, that's the third time you've handed that report in late, and that is causing a bigger and bigger problem for me. It's making me feel less confident that I can count on you. It's making me worried that we're going to miss a deadline. That's why, by the way, the behavior has to be very clear and the feelings, your feelings attached to the behavior have to be part of the message. And that does not, by the way, let's hear the difference between that and I feel that you're not committed. There is no feeling word in that statement. It's an attribution or an imputed motive. And that makes people defensive. So learning how to give feedback in ways that are effective, we have a whole model in the book about the net, which is understand that there are three realities in any exchange between two people. There's my intent, there's what I do, and there's how it lands on you. And if when I give you feedback, when, when you've done something and it landed on me, I say that, you know, I feel that you're not committed or I feel that you don't care, I am on, in your reality, I don't know whether you care or not, unless you say I don't care. And that's what makes people defensive. Mm -hmm. So the principles apply anytime. They're, and now I'm back to what I said earlier, you have to double down even more during COVID or during lockdown. And you're going to have, I think we are all going to have to be even more intentional uh, when when we're going back and forth between sometimes being at home and sometimes being in the office and sometimes being in person, because I think the hybrid model is the future. And so, so being, being aware, awareness, it all starts with awareness. And I think this a little goes a little bit back to what Rebecca was talking about too. One thing that I have found really, really a lifesaver is, is a mindfulness practice. I meditate a half an hour every morning and a half an hour every evening. And what that does is it helps me be more aware on a more consistent basis, not as much as I'd like to be, but more than I probably would be, of what my choices are every minute. So, you know, Rebecca was talking about the pause. Until you pause, you don't even realize you have a choice. If you just go from thing to thing to thing, you know, and by the way, even if you pause at the end of the day, you might recognize that there were some choices that you could have made that were different than the ones you did make. But if you do, don't ever pause, uh, don't create some ritual. And by the way, you don't have to meditate for half an hour. You could just take 30 seconds to notice how you're feeling in the moment. And before you make a decision on what you're going to do next, uh, you know, that that can help a lot. Uh and the last thing I'll say with regard to your question is a lot of people don't give feedback because they hold mental models, beliefs, assumptions about what will happen if they do. Oh, if I tell you that, you're going to get all upset and I don't want you to get all upset. So I'm not going to tell you. Now, if you're doing something that bothers me and I don't tell you, what are you going to do? You'll just keep doing it. You have no idea that it's annoying me. So you'll keep doing it. And what will happen to me? I'll get more and more and more annoyed. So who wins? 
when I don't say anything. No one. Nobody wins. And yet, we all fall into this trap because we have these beliefs and assumptions. One of the things that I want to just make sure that I underscore is if yeah. you say your intent in saying what you're saying, I'm telling you this because uh, the reason that I want you to know this is a problem is because I don't want it to become a bigger problem. I'm worried about what's happening to our relationship. I want you to know that I'm struggling because I want it to be okay for you to tell me that you're struggling. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, before we move off of what we were just talking about, the three realities I was talking about, it's really important for me to include what the reality you don't know, which is my intent. Mm-hmm. Now, now, now I'd love to hear what, Re- what Rebecca <laughs> has to say to your question. <laughs> you were talking there about the chapter in your book where you talk about working with other people because as a, as a solo person, as a freelance person, you think you are working alone, but you're definitely, definitely not. And by the sounds of it, that's what you learned you kind of learned that the hard way from working yeah. in such a siloed fashion. Um, what what advice do you have? Well, one of the things that came into my mind then when Carol was just talking was a funny conversation I had with a friend a few days ago because I interviewed someone, I'm, I'm doing a podcast series myself and I interviewed somebody um, for it who's a relationships and work expert in as much as she's interested in how couples who are successful manage their relationship um, and, and both succeed in their careers. Um, and... She was so she was giving me information about what what couples need to do, and, and we were extrapolating it in terms of what housemates need to do for each other when they're working in the same yeah. space, and um, you know all sorts of different relationships. And um, and I said to my friend, oh, I did this really fascinating interview for the podcast, and she was like, what What's the answer? What do we have to do? And I was like, Well, we just <laughs> we just have to talk a lot. We have to talk a lot about all of the things. <laughs> And sometimes we have to write lists of the things and then divide the things up and we just have to talk a lot. And she was so disappointed. <laughs> she, she was like, oh, oh, okay, great. <laughs> and, I, and she was kind of joking, but I just thought it was really funny because the, the thing about this stuff is we all know the answers. Like not as, not as, um, not as clearly and as intentionally as Carol is saying, you know, there are skills and techniques that we can bring to bear on this stuff. But <laughs> one of the yes. big ways in yes. which you stop being lonely is by connecting with other people. And the way that you do that is by is by asking them if you can connect with them in, you know, either in very straightforward terms or more subtly than that. Um, mm. And that, you know, the we have to have these conversations, whether they're in our working environments, our work, our work um our offices, our teams, or whatever, you know, the only way that we can get through this the sense of isolation that some of us are feeling is by saying, as you as you say, Carol, intentionally saying, I'm really struggling. And one of the reasons why I continually talk about how lonely I've been is because I want other people to feel comfortable with saying that stuff. Yep. Because the Absolutely. only way that you can alleviate it is is by is by being honest and saying, I'm really lonely right now, or I'm really struggling right now. This, you know, whatever isn't working isn't working for me. Um, and that can be within your relationship you know not in a kind of way in which your relationship won't recover but it can be you know I'm struggling with this juggle of childcare and and work I I, I cannot I'm not being the be- the parent that I want to be I mean as if anyone's being the parent they want to be right now but you know you know what I mean um, <laughs> and um yeah so I think as 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 freelancers, as solo workers, one of the things we have to do, which is really hard, is take responsibility for the way in which our little tiny kind of organisations of one are operating. 
And um, you mentioned choice earlier, Carol, like we have loads of choices when we work by ourselves. There's another chapter which is almost equally important in terms of its heading than the other people chapter, which is called um, Be Your Own CEO. And I I think that's really critical, particularly when you work for yourself, but I think also when you work by yourself, um, is that you you have to accept that you've got these different roles in your tiny miniature organisation of one that you need to fulfil. And one of them is the HR manager who makes sure that you take holiday and leave the office at a good time. (laughs) One of them's the CEO who has the kind of grand vision. One of them's the CFO who's hassling you to try and earn a bit more money the other person is the cleaner who does the bins and the loos and orders the printer ink and all of that you know all of these things are part of who we are now and you have to give each one of them space to breathe but you know I I would argue that the HR manager is actually an extremely important person because they're the person that's that you know books the holidays (laughs) and makes sure that the weekends are weekends and taps you on the shoulder at 8pm and says why are you still here (laughs) you know all of that stuff so anyway that's a slightly longer answer to your question I just think we have to we have to take responsibility it's really hard right now we're all ragged with the experiences that we've been through but we do have the capacity and the knowledge already in terms of what we need to do to make ourselves feel better when it's hard mm, absolutely and so much of what is good for us in in our working lives is as you say what's good for us as human animals in every yes. other facet of our life. There's a way in which we destigmatize vulnerability and disclosure when we start. If I tell you that I'm struggling, it's going to be easier for you to tell me you're struggling. And when there are power differentials, it's even more important for the higher power person to start. If you're the boss, it's even more important for you to make it okay uh, and normalize the fact that we're all struggling. Um, that's that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say is I loved your your friend's response. Talk about it. That's it. That's that's that's, that's the whole answer. I want I want the. That's why we didn't write a book, and I'm sure you didn't write a book that was. We didn't write three easy steps to better relationships. It just doesn't work that way. Everybody wants the answer with a capital T and a capital A, um, and. People have said to me, my clients, thousands of students, thousands of of executives have said, but it's so inefficient. All of this talking, (laughs) you know, um, you know, uh, and when I talk about feedback and how to give it better, oh, it takes so much time. And so then I'm like, well, what's the alternative? You know, you can pay some now or you can pay an awful lot later for not having taken the time now. What makes more sense? Yeah. So I, you know, I was, I was thought, I thought of both of those things as you were talking, Rebecca, that I wanted to come back to and 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 agree with. And that when you were saying that, it kind of reminds me of a line that was in Rebecca. I can't believe I, I can't remember if I read this on your book or whether I would listen. I listened to your podcast with Emma Gannon, which I thought was fantastic. Oh, thanks. Um, and it was a quote that you said that you never stopped. You never stopped to think about what I wanted my life to look like for those kind of six years that you were going. And I think that's so often the case when in whatever working setup you are, people can do. And you just go and go and go and you feel like you're on a hamster wheel. You feel like you can't get off. But actually, as you say, Carol, if you're not taking that time to pause and thinking how you could best do things, then you might be circling into a wrong wrong direction. Yeah. Yeah. 
you're not aware about everything else that could be making your working life and your and your whole life so much better. Absolutely. I think one of the things that I really wanted with the book to do was just to prompt people to ask questions like is this working yes. for me right now? Is this setup okay? Is am I comfortable physically with how I'm working? Am I comfortable mentally? Is this piece of work that's come to me the bit of work that I want? Will it take me in the direct what direction do I want to go in anyway? What where am I aiming for in 10 years time? Like I had no idea about that stuff. I just had this notion of, you know, I wanted to be successful and I had no idea what that was and I equated it with money I just decided that if I was earning a lot of money then I was successful and turns out that (laughs) that's a really poor way to pursue (laughs) happiness um which other people had worked out before me um and so when I looked up after six years with you know no real sense of what I wanted like as you say my life to look like never having had a conversation with myself well, really, even with my now husband. So I just I just want to encourage people to have conversations with themselves and, and potentially with the people around them as well. Like, is is this is this what we wanted? Was this what you wanted? Is like, you know, all of that. And they're hard conversations to have, but as you say, Carol, they are so valuable having them now rather than looking back and wishing that you'd had them. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm I feel very grateful that I had the experience that I did because it's allowed me to write this book and I think it's I think it seems to be helping other people and that that's great, but you know, I do look back at that at that girl in her you know early 30s late 20s whenever it was you know and I just think I wish that I wish that you had just taken a moment to think about what you wanted life to look like because if I had taken a piece of paper and written down what I wanted it was not work all the hours that there are and never see your friends (laughs) so just as a summing up we're saying one of the most important things is to to stop and pause and check out whether routines and ways of working are working for you and the people around you that's super important Um, Number two, in whatever way, as things change, remember that it's important to talk about the changes as much as possible. So you have that conversation with yourself, but then you also have that conversation with other people. Be as human as possible. So flag when you're flag when you feel that something isn't right and hold space for other people to do the same thing. We talked about naming things that aren't working for you in ways that create problem-solving conversations. Yes, got that. And then also seeking, as you're saying there, Rebecca, seeking, looking at ways that you can perhaps enjoy those relationships a little bit better by having time, by having transition time. Again, having those conversations and creating those boundaries. Yeah. And then looking for connection rather than just contact. Yeah. In fact, the through line is deepening, deepening connection to yourself and to others. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Even when it's hard and it feels hard to do that stuff, yeah. especially when you're lonely, especially when other things are hard. But oh, I yeah. I can promise that doing that will make the harder things easier in the rest of your life. All right. Thank you both Carol, Robin and Rebecca Seal. Thank you so much for coming on Going for Gold. Thank you. Such it was really fun. Was and great. Rebecca, Lovely. I'm going out and buying your book. Well, right back at you. <laughs> So much food for thought in there. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And that was Carol Robin and Rebecca Seal, interviewed by me, Roisin Dervish-O'Kane. As ever, if you want to comment on anything that we've raised in this episode, get in touch. All the details of how are in the show notes. Uh, And if you've got a different goal in mind and want to know how to achieve it, again, let us know and we could be helping you get there in an upcoming episode. That's all from Going For Gold this week. We'll be back next Tuesday. See you then.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.